From Washington, this is Talking Techs. I'm your host, Siri Belusu. It's not an exaggeration to say that the problems posed by the coronavirus pandemic are massive. Today on Talking Tax, we're going to be looking at what both the executive and the legislative branches of government have done in response to a disease that, as of today, March 26th, killed more than 500 people in the U.S. We've got two Bloomberg tax reporters on the line today, Ali Versperl and Colin Wilhelm. Ali has been tracking the Treasury Department and the IRS, while Colin's been busy following the fast-moving developments on Capitol Hill. Ali, let's start with you. There has been so much that the Treasury and IRS have done to respond to the coronavirus and sort of the panic that has taken taxpayers in the last month or so. What would you say is the most significant of the measures that Treasury and IRS have undertaken? Thanks, Siri. Uh, So I would say the, the most significant measure that they've taken so far is to extend the filing and payment date for individuals to pay and file their federal income taxes. Um, This applies to both individuals and businesses, and they originally would have had to pay by April 15th. Uh, That's now been pushed back to July 15th. Um, And we could see some additional filing relief as well. Uh, IRS Chief Counsel Michael Desmond yesterday indicated that they may apply this to more upcoming deadlines, maybe cover some additional taxes. Um, He said he's heard from people wanting additional tax relief. So, you know, stay tuned. What is it about an extension that's so beneficial for taxpayers? I think right now, the the tough thing is that a lot of people can't get into their advisors. So, you know, people are being told to stay home. They're being told to keep distance from other individuals, um, to limit face-to-face interactions. So especially for low-income people who usually rely on low-income tax clinics um, and, you know, other places to, to get their tax returns done, they can't go in and talk to their advisors right now. Um, there are also just other things that are on people's minds. You know, they're dealing with sick family members. Um, they're potentially dealing with being laid off and unemployment. So, you know, having this extra three months will really allow them to focus on the emergency at hand and then worry about that filing and paying their taxes later. Who are the decision makers here? Is everything running through the White House or do Mnuchin and Rettig have a lot of authority to take action on their own? So there is a lot of authority um, that Mnuchin and Uh, Commissioner Reddick have on their own. Um, So in addition to the filing and payment relief, we've also seen them take some measures to ease enforcement um, during kind of this three-month period, you know, putting a pause on certain audits, stopping kind of the automatic levies and notices that would typically go out to taxpayers to force collection from them. Um, And so a lot of that they can they can really do on their own. Um, We've also seen Mnuchin being heavily involved in the discussions on Capitol Hill um, and in drafting kind of the the bill that just passed the Senate uh, in the late hours of last night. Are these ad hoc measures that are just kind of getting brought up as the coronavirus complications continue or is it sort of a thoughtful phasing in of initiatives? So Treasury is really, Treasury and IRS are really kind of making these changes as they go. Um, You know, I feel like it's, a lot of these changes are kind of coming at us quickly. Um, You know, last week they had maybe taken initial steps to ease enforcement. Now we've seen them expand on that. Same with the filing and payment relief. You know, they initially just extended the deadline for paying your federal income taxes, and then they ended up adding an extension of the filing deadline as well on top of that. 
Um, so, you know, in talking with IRS officials and, and Treasury officials, they say it's really, um, they're just trying to assess this as they go. And it's completely new territory for them because when they typically provide tax relief of this sort, it's for hurricanes and tornadoes based in very specific geographic regions, whereas this pandemic obviously affects the entire country. What is the staffing like at these agencies? Uh, can, can the career level feds who need to implement these emergency actions actually do the work they need to do? Or have all of IRS and Treasury, Treasury's resources gone to triaging? So what we've seen is that, you know, staffing, particularly in call centers and some of these larger facilities that have people sitting right next to each other, um, they really have either reduced staff. Uh, the commissioner has said that he, that he would cut staff by 50 percent at facilities like that, or they've just completely closed. So I've talked to, you know, people on the ground at these facilities. I've talked to the IRS itself and they say, um, you know, Austin has shut down. That includes its return processing center facilities in Fresno, California have shut down um, several facilities in Pennsylvania. And so, you know, there really is kind of a, um, and a lot of that work can't be done remotely. So those individuals, when they're off, it's pretty much, they're off. They're not necessarily doing what they would do on their, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, But meanwhile, we have others at the Office of Tax Policy and the IRS Office of Chief Counsel who, you know, maybe are working on guidance and some of these other things, and they do have remote capacity. So they're kind of continuing their work from home as best they can. What is the reaction out in the tax world to all of this? Are practitioners thinking these agencies are doing enough to address the crisis or not enough? Or are, they, are their asks completely different from what Treasury and IRS are doing? So I think practitioners are pretty pleased with what the agency has done so far. I know, um, you know, maybe the, the IRS acted a bit slower than they would have liked um, in easing some of the enforcement actions and um, extending the filing and payment, April 15 payment deadline. You know, we have seen some groups and practitioners like the American Institute of CPAs asking for even more. Uh, they would like the IRS to extend the current filing relief to more upcoming deadlines, including a May 15 deadline for nonprofits um, and also cover more types of taxes. So instead of just your federal income taxes, they're looking at estate taxes, excise taxes. So there are definitely some things they would still want. I would say um, in terms of maybe some frustration, a lot of what I'm hearing is internal frustration with IRS workers who really felt like it took the IRS a long time uh, to implement safety measures to keep them safe. So cutting the the staff in half at call centers and submission processing centers, that took longer than a lot of IRS employees would have liked. Um, They also have complained to me about cleanliness and, you know, just wanting kind of basic uh, sanitation and hand sanitizer and all of these things that they say they weren't being given. Thanks so much, Ellie. Now let's go to Colin. Congress has now passed two emergency spending packages related to coronavirus and is working on a third. What are we seeing in that latest bill that is significant to tax and accounting? A lot, Uh, in a short answer. (laughs) Um, This is basically, I've never seen anything like this uh, on Capitol Hill, nor have any of the reporters who have been there much longer than I have. But this is basically like wrapping TARP with the 2017 tax law with major disaster legislation that affects the entire country together, slapping that together in about five days, six days, 
uh, and passing it. And it's there's a lot in there that uh, tax professionals are going to be interested in. Uh, you have this payroll tax referral deferral on the employer side. Uh, you have payroll tax credits for retaining employees. Um, you have a fix to the retail glitch in the 2017 tax law uh, that's retroactive so that restaurants, bars, retailers can go back and claim it. And of course, you have the, the $1,200 uh, rebate checks, maximum of $1,200 rebate checks that are going out to people. Uh, and we'll start going out in a few weeks, presuming that the, the House passes this. Is there anything in the in this latest bill that's a sticking point that could prevent it from passing the House? So there have definitely been concerns raised by people on, I would say, conservatives and some of the more outspoken progressives within the House. Uh, you've got uh, AOC, uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, um, tweeting some of her criticism about it. I responded to one of those tweets to see if she would object to it <laughs> on the floor. I did not get a response. Um, but uh, originally, the House had hoped to take up the the Senate bill and pass it by something called unanimous consent, uh, where essentially they bring it to the floor. Um, they ask if any member present objects to passing it without a, a vote. And then if somebody objects, then they can't do it. That's the unanimous part. It's sort of in the title. So they are now worried about somebody driving back, objecting to the uh, passage. And that's why they're going to do this voice vote uh, in the House uh, instead of a normal recorded vote. That's what they're hoping to do. Uh, the, the problem with that is uh, the same thing can kind of happen where a member could ask for a recorded vote. Uh, I think they might have to call a quorum if they did that and maybe call members back from across the country. Do you think Congress is trying to use the tax code to address the economic fallout from this crisis? And and if so, how would that work or would it work? Yeah, I mean, they're trying to use it in a bunch of different ways. Uh, you have different business side benefits that are being extended by this. They're deferring um, employer side payroll taxes uh, during this crisis. Uh, there's also going to be this employee retention advance tax credit that basically for firms above 100 people, it's a, about a 50% uh, credit for the, or not about, it is a 50% credit for the uh, employee's wages and treasuries fronting the money while they're also deferring taxes. So you can claim this credit while you're deferring payments of your taxes, if that makes sense. It helps basically, the intent is to help these businesses stay open and be there for when a recovery happens. Uh, the entire purpose of this quote-unquote 3.0 legislation that we saw this past uh, week is to basically serve as a bridge during this public health crisis for when uh, the virus spread starts to recede and some things, some activities start to go back to normal. So Colin, what do you see next on the horizon for Congress? That's a really good question because I don't think anyone really knows yet. Uh, we are going to, I mean, the Senate is technically out until April 20th from their regular session, uh, as announced last night. Uh, it's very possible they could come back for emergency, more emergency legislation. Um, but I think what they're going to do now is try to wait and see how the economy and the 
healthcare system and everything else that's touched by this bill uh, reacts to it. Uh, this is basically a bridge loan for the American public for the next two to three months to try to get them through this. And there is already talk of, hey, this might not be big enough. Uh, they might have to go back and do more. There's also consideration of, is there going to have to be a real stimulus, whereas this is more of a disaster relief package, um, when the, I don't want to say when the lights go back on, but essentially like when the all clear is given by CDC or public health officials to kind of resume life as normal. That's all for this week's episode. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the coronavirus and its impact on tax and accounting at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website again is news.bloombergtax.com. From Washington, I'm Siri Belusu. Thanks for listening. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, super fun, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater. Next That's time. where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to the Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.